as Bruce Lee once said, um, water always finds the opening. Be water, my friend. And I think what, you know, the success of these platforms are that fans have their own ideas of what they want to do. And it's our job, I think, to help IP find ways to let fans embrace their product while still maintaining control of it and making sure that something doesn't go off the rails. You're listening to Lights, Camera, Crypto, the podcast exploring all things entertainment and Web3. I'm your host, Stephen Ladden, and this week our guest is Virtual Brand Group CEO Justin Hochberg. Justin is a former guest on Decentral's Decent People podcast, and in this episode of Lights, Camera, Crypto, he shares his views on the latest in entertainment and the metaverse, from the recent launch of NBC's The Voice Studios to activations around the upcoming Barbie movie. Justin also discusses the future of Hollywood and Web3 and how he thinks it could look like major studios allowing companies and individuals to build on their IP in exchange for royalties. Let's dive in. Justin, welcome to the podcast. Nice to be back. <laughs> exactly. Well, we were just uh, discussing, you know, it has been about a year ago s- since we had last spoken in podcast format at the time. It was for decent people. You were six months into launching Virtual Brand Group, had a lot of early success, a lot of activations, uh, I think at the time, predominantly around Forever 21. And yep. since that time, I mean, you guys were in the news recently with launching The Voice Studios. There's been a lot of stuff that you guys have been involved with, and I'm sure you'll talk all about it. Uh, has the mission changed? Are you still trying to onboard and reach uh, different audiences uh, as well as help companies adopt themselves into the metaverse? Sort of where, where, where do things lie now and, and what have you been up to? It's a great segue. So I think the simple answer is on one level, the mission is the same, which is work with brands, global intellectual property, fashion, sports, entertainment, beauty, et cetera, and help them strategize and operationalize how they get into whatever we're now calling this post-hype thing, the metaverse, Web3, you know, et cetera. The thing that I think has shifted is just the the following, which is, I think for something to take really deep hold amongst companies and people, you need what we call at Microsoft sort of a killer app, right? Uh, the, 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 you know, this is the day when apps actually ruled. Um, and I think if you look historically, like email was in the internet's killer functionality. Right, like that was. Oh, I don't have to send a letter. I don't have to do a fax. It goes there instantaneously. We can have pretty quick. Like that was killer. Um, you know, so things like that. Uh, you know, so the question is today, where are we in this curve of using this thing called the metaverse or Web three? And I think the thing that has shifted since we last spoke is trying to identify what real problem can I solve for a large company with a brand that has a bunch of consumers? Mm-hmm. That's the big question mark that I have been searching for, you know, as we are now building new things and extending the things that we did build into different ways of connecting. And do you find, have you found that using the metaverse as a platform to connect, as a tool to connect with different audiences, has it proven to be effective for the companies and brands that you've, you've worked with? Have you been able to reach audiences and also develop, say, a different relationship with those audiences and, and those communities than you would have in traditional Facebook, Instagram, social media? No, it's been a total waste of time. And I can't believe like this actually was the interview that I wanted to do to just say goodbye to the industry. Kidding. kidding, <laughs> I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, yeah, I think that's the perfect question. So 
I, what we have found is frequently or almost every day, every month, every year, the ability to reach a consumer gets harder and harder no matter what your business is, right? And if you're, uh, if you're a movie studio, you know, you went from driving people to the AMC to now getting people to pick your streaming platform amongst 12 of them on a screen of which there's no switching costs because it's all just prepaid content, right? Right. Uh, if you're a retailer, you know, you used to be an omni-channel. What does omni-channel retailing mean? It probably meant something like you had stores, you had a wholesale operation, you had an e-com operation, maybe you had direct-to-consumer through Instagram, maybe you did pop-ups and events, et cetera. And yet, still, it's like, how do you meet consumers wherever they are? And so what we have really found is that Consumers are constantly moving. The next generation of people, right? Like people are not watching the same amount of TV at, you know, at young people are not watching the same amount of TV that they were 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. Um, the same people, young people are not watching, you know, or using Snapchat the way they were 10 years ago. Now, are they using it still at a lot of scale? Sure. But there's the next new thing, as they say in Silicon Valley. Sure. And what we have found is simply put that this new thing, whatever you want to call it, Metaverse Web3, has a lot of really amazing attributes that allow you to redefine the relationship with your consumer. And, and what is that? I know you, you guys recently launched The Voice Studios. What does that look like from a, a practical sense? Like, how, how has that manifested tangibly? Okay. So let's just like pretend we're in business school and break it down like a case study. So um, problem. Uh, TV audiences around the globe are, tend to be in their 40s or 50 years old, and they are only getting older. And younger people who used to participate in most TV shows, especially on broader channels, are becoming less engaged. So what they'll do instead of watching the show is they'll watch the results or they'll watch the TikTok clip, right? Okay. Yet, you have a massive format like The Voice, which airs in 180 countries. It's the most distributed TV show in the world. It's one of the most distributed brands in the world. It's in more places than Disney and Nike. Wow. And so that, yeah, the only other brands in the world besides The Voice in more places are Coca-Cola and God. <laughs> no joke, right? No joke. And I give God an asterisk because there's lots of definitions of what God is, but there's probably only one definition of Coke. Nonetheless, it's very few other brands that are in as many places and, and have a following like that, where people literally sit today in front of a TV set in you know Morocco or France or Poland or Portugal, right? So the question is, one is, how do you uh, find viewers that are not necessarily going to tune into your NBCs of the world, right? You got to find them someplace else. So that's problem one. Two is TV, amazing, very beautiful storytelling and visually arresting stuff. The Voice is a gorgeous show. It's got great lighting and dramatic moments and cool stars. But how do you get people to stay engaged with that. So the show is on Tuesday. What are you doing on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? Not a lot, right? Right, you know, think about the NFL. They used to be on one day a week, Sunday. Then they went to Monday. Now they're on four days a week at least, plus commentary, right? Like it's, how do you, what do you fill that space with? The third problem is, is look, there's a lot of people that never knew what the voice was and just simply aren't going to turn on TV. So how do you keep building that audience so that you have a constant group of people that can be viewers? So those are just like three basic problems for a television show. And it's not the voice's problem. It's just TV in general. And so if you think about the voice studios, which is what we've called this new experience, it is meant to achieve all three things. It is meant to be a place that can take people who are 
enjoying their free time on sitting on the subway or playing on their mobile phones and convert them into viewers of the TV show. It is meant to be a place where you can sing, dance, earn rewards, um, socialize with your friends, collect merchandise that keeps you engaged with the brand when the show is not on. And as we all know from every report you've probably seen, their Gen Z, Gen Alpha are gaining knowledge about brands and things they're interested in from these worlds, not from People Magazine or E! News or you know, broadcast TV or even Netflix. And so this next generation of young people who might be like, hey, I want to be a superstar one day. This is how they're learning about it. And so those are the problems we are trying to solve and that we are solving with something like The Voice Studios. Thank you for that uh, high-level and comprehensive explanation. To that end, are there already viewers though who who are fans of the show who are viewing the voice studios as just an as you mentioned an extension of the brand and thus are already predisposed to want to check it out and and are feeling more immersed in call it the voice community because this is now an outlet for it absolutely if we're doing our job correctly it's going both ways, right? It's taking people who already like the show and have decided they're going to invest their hour or two hours a week into that. And we're giving them a way to continually invest in that show and get more out of it, right? So today, if you are a fan of a show or a sport and it's not on, where do you tend to spend your time? You might be on uh, Instagram posting or liking something. You might be on Twitter commenting on something or not commenting. That's a relatively shallow and unsocial experience, right? <laughs> Despite the name social media. But if you are a fan of the voice and you can then go with your friends to go compete um, or join Blake's team in the metaverse and, you know, uh, you know, get points because Blake's team has gotten that contested or made that steal or won that battle round as the format goes. Um, that's really engaging. And so we are offering the next level of how to be a fan of something, whatever that is, whether it's fashion or sports or TV. On the other side, there's a bunch of people that are coming from this world over here, the metaverse, and we are trying to push them into, hey, this is a super fun experience check out these cool things you can do, watch the show. So it's meant to be coming from both sides into the middle, which, and then the middle being, how do you increase the value of your intellectual property? Hmm. Hmm. And so it sounds like then you're, you're increasing the value of the IP through gamification, through rewards, and really through that, angle, you're helping to transform what you just referred to the social media experience now as sort of, you know, uh, not as active, a little bit more passive. It sounds like that's also extending to, in this case, traditional film television, where it's, it's this engagement factor that's, that's now being inserted, the, the rewards, the gamification. There's, there's more of an active participation in what was traditionally something that was both on socials and traditional media, a little more passive. Yeah, so I would say there's always been a really active participation by devoted fan groups, whether that's people who love, uh, you know, Indiana Jones, which is coming out this summer, or, or a Marvel movie, or a sports team, or even, you know, some people are sneakerheads, right? So any of that stuff, very active communities. The question really is, is where is that action taking place? And if you are the uh, if you are Nike right now, or you are Indiana Paramount issuing Indiana Jones, most of that action is not happening under your umbrella, right? It's probably happening at a place called fandom.com, which is an awesome place to discuss sort of the Wikipedia of fandom, or it's ha ha you know, happening on hashtag Indiana Jones 5 or wherever that is. And that's okay, but as a brand, you don't own it. 
And in fact, if the owner of the platform, Facebook, Apple, Elon Musk, decides to change the algorithm or change what the terms and post, you, you can't say anything. You don't actually know who the consumer is, right? Because it's just, you know, the third party platform does. And so the action has always been there, but it's been all over the place and not under your control. And what we're trying to say to you as a brand, regardless of whether you're fashion or you're a movie studio is, hey, wouldn't it be better if this was a one-to-one -one relationship that you had where you could be providing the value and that you could be speaking to your audience? And that message resonates incredibly well. And is it in the same way that Web3 is helping creators own their own content and create, take ownership of themselves and their brand? Are, are you essentially preaching the same thing to these brands and, and companies to, to, hey, take ownership of your universe to help grow out that IP? Yeah. And there's varying degrees of you know, how much ownership and how much you want to invest in it. But I think the idea is, look, if you have your own Decentraland voice studios, there's no one that tells you what to build, how to build it, what percent of the revenue you get. Um, you know, you know, they don't change the algorithm on you. It's a very, it's an open platform, right? So that's very valuable. Now, there's also amazing platforms like Roblox, which are akin more of early days of the internet with like AOL, uh, Walled Garden, or more like Facebook, where that's an amazing platform too. It's got hundreds of millions of people. Um, yet you do have to live under their terms and conditions. Now, we do a lot of work there. We launched a Barbie collection, which obviously Barbie is right now probably the hottest fashion trend with the movie coming out in July. Um, and that's a wonderful place to be because it's got scale and because it's very brand friendly and brand safe, which is the plus. The minus is it's still run by someone else who controls all the algorithms and decides what you can and can't do and all that stuff, which has its positives and it has its challenges. Speaking of challenges, then what, what do you think or what have you experienced over this past year that have been sort of the more challenging aspects of growing a, a brand in the metaverse and also onboarding potential people uh, onto a brand and, and getting them to buy in to these different ecosystems or, or different ways of con consumption? So I think the best example of what's possible is the following story. We started working with Forever 21 in December of 2021. And we did a variety of different things. We launched different collections on Roblox, different platforms, um, you know, different IP that we worked with in collaboration because they're really excellent at working with other third parties, uh, like different IPs uh, like Baby Fat, things like that. Um, and, and we also did some really clever marketing stuff. So for example, one of the things that we did was we took the best selling virtual items on Roblox and Forever 21, spearheaded by their CEO and CMO who are really really in tune with this stuff. We took those and made physical items of the virtual bestsellers. Hmm. Right? So the best-selling virtual items on Roblox then became in-store to celebrate our one-year metaversary or anniversary. And they not only took the best-selling item, they then expanded. So if it was a black hat that was like the number one bestseller, they sold physically a pink hat and a t-shirt and a sweatshirt and a this and a that and the other thing that expanded the collection. And so that allowed us to basically use Roblox as this R&D facility at pretty much zero cost because the changing of a color type or of slightly adjusting the hat or sweatshirt, you know, th that's seconds, not days. And of course, in a world of global sustainability, doing these things virtually where you're not shipping goods around the world was, of course, an added benefit, right? Um, you know, because virtual fashion is ostensibly 99% more sustainable than physical fashion because you're not, you know, none of these things that I'm wearing right now exist. So we then launched this program 
it was a massive success. In fact, it was probably one of the most successful things that was launched last year in the metaverse, certainly our most successful. It was written about by Bloomberg and Wall Street Journal and Financial Times. And one of the quotes, I think it was by Bloomberg that said, you know, amongst sort of the end of the hype cycle in Roblox and, and the metaverse was the idea of incubating virtual fashion may be the one solution, the killer app to go back to the prior thing we said. Right, right. Because it's super easy to understand and it solves a legitimate problem. How do you get to know whether something's going to sell at retail? Besides, you know, a handful of consumer groupings and some best guesses by some very smart people. And this was a way to say, look, we've sold X units. We've tried it this number of different ways. This is your demo. Let's give it a shot. And as a result, the collection sold out immediately in the physical world. And we issued a whole new set of like new virtual items based on the new physical items so that the loop kept going. Now, this end result of this was in December, there was an article that came out and Forever 21 was gracious. This past December? This past December, right? So at the end yeah. of our one year, right after yeah. this physical thing, Forever 21 was graciously listed as one of the top 10 metaverse brands for 2023 which is great. Who doesn't want to be on a list, right? The thing that's most relevant here was that the other nine on that list were Gucci and Prada and Balenciaga and Polo and Nike and Adidas. Now, I think it's fair to say Forever 21 is phenomenal at what it does, but it is not Nike and it is not Gucci. And yet, through 12 months of working on its metaverse, what it is, its brand DNA, we were able to position it in that way. And so my point mm -hmm. being to your question is, what are the results you can look for? Sure, there's sales and there's PR, but it is the ability to take a brand and invent it or reinvent it or evolve it to what you want it to be because we're that early in this ecosystem. And, and to that end, you mentioned the sort of virtual incubator that Forever 21 sort of used the, the metaverse to be, in, in this case, with, with the example of, of Roblox. Do you see that being a model that other companies and even other forms of entertainment will use to start to R&D different ideas, different products, et cetera? Absolutely. I mean, and I, I think just stepping back from the metaverse for a second, I think if you just look in particular at Hollywood, where I live, everybody in Hollywood is looking for some way to not spend $200 million on something that has zero proven data, right? So what often happens is someone will option a book, right? Uh, you know, or they will look for a very successful comic series or they will take a beloved child's book, or they will take, um, you know, they will take a podcast um, or whatever it is, right? Like that's the ways in which they say, oh, look, there's already an audience for this stuff. So I don't think that's anything new, um, certainly in the entertainment industry. It's a little harder with, say, fashion because that is evolving so quickly and last year's trend of this color or that cut won't mean anything this year. But in a virtual world for fashion in particular, it's a fantastic thing. And we actually conceived of this idea from the onset. Um, this wasn't just a happenstance that we said, look, this is selling well. We said, let us design items in the virtual world that do not exist in the physical world. And at the onset, most brands said, no, 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 it's got to be exactly the same because we're selling it here, we want to sell it there. And I said to them, look, would you sell the same item in Antarctica as you would Palm Beach? And the answer is probably not, right? Different weather patterns, different usage patterns. So as another great example, the Barbie collection on Roblox mimics the physical items that you can buy today. And there's a whole new set of items that 
have never existed in any Barbie collection whatsoever that are just exclusively for the Roblox fans. Right. And then from that experience, Barbie has the the option to potentially, if they want, if there's a really successful virtual item that maybe you guys didn't see having traction in the real world, or wasn't even it wasn't not even that that you didn't see it having traction, but it wasn't designed to perhaps get traction. If it does, you're equipped to then push it out in from the digital to the physical if you if you see fit. Absolutely. Very cool. Absolutely. That's exactly that's exactly right. It, it is. I mean, on some level, as far as I can tell, it is the world's greatest incubation because the time, cost, and sustainability, amongst other factors, are so low. I mean, low on time and cost, high on sustainability compared to the physical world. That it just creates this. I mean. I guess the easiest way to understand it is I can create a virtual race car in the same amount of time I can create a virtual t-shirt. Mm. You can't say that in the physical world, right? Right, right. right. Yeah, and in, in this way, has that helped perpetuate more engagement from the fans of Barbie in this case, or the fans of Forever 21? Because now they're being able to share perhaps in a, in a greater capacity than previously what they feel and think about certain lines and certain products. And, and that feedback can have a much faster implication in terms of what it manifests as, you know, the, their, their opinion can be heard and tinkered with uh, on the back end in a faster way, it seems, than, than previously. No, we like to think so. I mean, look, uh, you know, at any given moment, I can go on hashtag Barbiecore or whatever, you know, right, uh, you know, places on what social media is and see what people are posting about, about either the collection we have or the Barbie movie. Um, and, you know, we can, you know, the creation of a virtual item can take, you know, technically a day or two um, and you can react that way. Right. And so that's really fantastic. To be able to, uh, you, you could never do that in a physical world for almost any object unless it was 3D printed and bespoke, right? You just can't, and you can't do that at scale, right? Once I create a virtual Barbie, uh, you know, pair of yellow neon roller skates, like in the movie or whatever it is, I don't need, I create one and it's an unlimited inventory, right? I, I, it doesn't matter. Like people can buy this forever and in any country and there's no, and there's never, you know, there's no size issues. There's no returns. There's no, oh, someone stole, there's no shrinkage as they politely call it in retail, right? There's no, oh, that got broken in shipping, right? So those are all really valuable things. What sort of community building has been happening for the consumer? So I think that the general mode of human beings are, they want to be involved, right? Like, yeah, it's amazing to passively watch something like a baseball game and not be the baseball player, no doubt. But especially amongst a youth-oriented culture, there is a sense of wanting to not just be told what to do, right? If you think about most things in life, they start from like a corporate boardroom where someone says, we're going to make this Batman and we're going to pick that person to play it. And this is the story it's going to be. The reason why so many of these worlds are great and get so many hours, right? I mean, the average consumer spends, I think, 78 or more hours a month on Roblox, right? Wow. That's more than TikTok and YouTube combined. And it's certainly more than you spend on TV, even under pandemic conditions. And the reason is, is because it's a, it's not a game. A game I would define as beginning, middle, and end, and a discrete set of rules that you have to play by. So let's just take Monopoly. Now, Monopoly might last on for hours or days, depending on how good you are, how much, you know, you cheat at being the banker. But ultimately, there's beginning, middle, and end, and it's going to come to an end. And there's not a lot of variation as to the gameplay, right? Yeah, you can, you know, you know, 
maybe it change up one or two things. But if you go into these, the voice, right? You can dance. You can challenge people to dance. You can judge people to dance. You can mentor people. And so the idea of empowering people to take the DNA of a beloved format and then let them sort of run with it within a certain amount of guardrails tends to be, you know, it's power to the people, right? It's empowering to feel like you are getting to use this toy, so to speak, the way you want. Um, I guess the easy analogy is it's the difference between, you know, um, playing a board game or going to the park with five friends with a frisbee, a ball, and, you know, a blanket and seeing what happens. So one in one example, there's a structured environment, the board game, as you mentioned, beginning, middle, end. The other is you're going with your, your tools, your, your toys, but there's no structure in that sense. It's, hey, what can we come up with? Yeah. And people come up, you know, look, I think um, as Bruce Lee once said, um, water always finds the opening. Be water, my friend. And I think what, you know, the success of these platforms are that fans have their own ideas of what they want to do. And it's our job, I think, to help IP find ways to let fans embrace their product while still maintaining control of it and making sure that something doesn't go off the rails. In, in that in that sense, is there what's the view on ownership when it comes to that? Uh, obviously, the brands, the, the idea is expanding the IP to under their um, to, to to be totally immersed under their umbrella. How does that correlate with the sort of ethos of the Web three ecosystem of you know ownership and and smart contracts and all of those things? Yeah, it's a great question. So obviously, the one of the fundamental pieces, I mean, I think there's two things that make sort of Web3 interesting at its broadest look. One is three-dimensional worlds, and we talk a lot about that through gaming. The other piece is ownership, right? Digital ownership of an asset across platforms in perpetuity. So I think this is going to take a moment for it to settle in. But the idea, I think, that is the winning app or the killer app here again is that not only when you buy something from Nike or Forever 21 or Barbie or The Voice, you get to own it and you get to take it wherever you want. But I see a world where someone says, look, we're, uh, we're a brand and we have this IP. You can go do, go make stuff out of this. And um, we're empowering you to go do this, obviously within certain you know, bounds. So that it stays, you know, appropriate for all ages, and there aren't any liabilities. But go build off of this IP, and you can own that IP and pay us a royalty for creating that IP, right? Mm. Like, why not? And and you know, that's just, that model may seem very scary unless you use an analogy, and the analogy I would use is licensing. If you're Disney. You license the Marvel product to tens of thousands of people around the world who make lunchboxes or dolls or board games, right? Now, those people get vetted and they have to put up financial, you know, and sign contracts and all that stuff. But ultimately, it's you have faith in somebody across the world that you maybe don't know so well. They make this product. You have specs. And if they don't follow it, you yank the license and or you sue them. I'm not sure why that could happen on a more individual basis. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because I think within the past couple months uh, in the music industry, Grimes had done just this. She had uh, issued, I think you can, and, and this might be, I don't know how accurate this is, but to some degree, it's, there's a you can use her voice in AI music generation. And as long as you pay her, it's either a 50 piece. But yeah, yeah, exactly. So we're starting sure. to see it already, I think, in, in certain sectors. And it will be really interesting to see, to your point here, if, if that transcends into traditional film, TV IP, story IP, you know, where does, where does it start and end? Yeah, I mean, I think generally these things tend to start with people that are, are challenger brands 
or just on the more innovative side of things, right? So do I think Marvel's going to crack this open immediately? Um, look, they're super in intelligent people, but like they have a lot of other things invested in this. Um, so, but I do think it's going to happen more and more. And I think it's, you know, the easier this becomes, it's, it's no big deal. It's checking a box. Right. And, and do you think it's going to take for that to really catch on? Is it just going to be one sort of adventurous company followed by another, followed by another, and then suddenly it becomes, we, we've seen more examples of it to where people feel more comfortable? Or how does that process, do you think, unwind? So it's, it's a great question about what is the tipping point, as Malcolm Gladwell yeah, would say. Exactly. And the answer is one of two things, which is, of course, not an answer. <laughs> it's either a seminal moment where, like, chat GPT, no one had heard of or very few had, and then within three months, 100 million people were using it, right? It was just right time, right product, super easy functionality. My father, who's 90, and my teenager, who's 15, and I could all use it for completely different things. And it required zero knowledge about anything, right? So that was a tipping moment. Um, and that was an open-ended consumer tipping moment. On the other side of things, I worked in interactive TV and streaming media for Microsoft for many years. And my job at first was to come to Hollywood and explain in the early 2000s that there was going to be a moment where you could watch anything live or tape off of a device. And at that point, there were cell phones, that, but there were handheld devices. And, and people in Hollywood say, no one's ever going to do that. No one's ever going to watch that. And Nobody would be willing to do that, even though Steve Jobs from Apple kept wanting people to do it, right? Steve Jobs being as good of a salesperson as there is. That broke open because um, Iger wanted to repair the relationship with Jobs around Pixar. Mm -hmm. And he asked, because there had been a lot of conflict with Eisner, and Iger took over and said, look, you make these great movies. We have this relationship. Let's build on this. And he said, well, what do you want? He goes, I want you to sell TV shows, your TV shows on iTunes. And once Disney did it, everybody did it. And that's mm. what created streaming media that we now use. You know, we, we don't even do what they did back then. Now we have Netflix. Um, so I don't know the answer, but those are probably the two scenarios under which it will all happen. Either a ground up swell or one corporation that everybody can say, oh, it's okay to do, let's do this. Right. And, and so in both those scenarios, though, it it's, it's taking someone at, on either end of those spectrums, whether it's a company or an individual or, or some combination of both, are taking a leap of ingenuity and faith to believe that, hey, this is the future and, and we're going to bet on this, on this move. And if it works out, it has the potential to change and shapeshift not just our company, but perhaps a, uh, an industry. Yeah, and I think where you typically get those in innovators are in the pop culture spaces, right? So if you think of what made people think about Roblox or Fortnite, it was those concerts with like little Nas X, right? Hmm. There's, you know, musicians are typically, they're like, what's cutting edge? What's new? What's the hot sound? Where do I want to be? What's going to inspire me? I'll try something, right? So that's why that became such a thing. Other things that fit into the zeitgeist of pop culture are fashion, right? Those are things of constantly having to reinvent themselves. Um, you know, so that's another one. Sports, um, constantly, you know, every season is a new story. Those things at the center of like the epicenter of pop culture are probably where you, music, right? That, that you know, we said that, but um, where do you probably not get that from? Um, you know, insurance, tractors, and airplanes. Sure, sure. Though, at some point, if if the trend that we're talking about is far-reaching, then those industries perhaps do eventually, at some point, ride the wave. Well, of course they do. I mean, like, I, you know, I'm sort of, you know, when, when I pitch something, I have this, like, slide that says, you know, sort of, to orient you on to the opportunity I'm about to talk to you, it says, look, 28 years ago when the Mosaic browser came out and people saw HTTPS colon backslash backslash www 
I don't know what this is.com. Nobody knew what to do with it, right? There wasn't much to do with it. The best you could do was look at it as like a glorified catalog, right? It didn't have any functionality. You couldn't buy anything, couldn't sell anything, couldn't order anything, you couldn't track anything, right? But no one knew what to do with it. And 15 years ago, when YouTube came about and a bunch of 12 or 15 year olds were like, cool, let's make a video, a bunch of people in Hollywood was like, why would anyone ever watch a video about someone jumping off a roof or unboxing a toy? Now, I think today we can easily say with 100% certainty that those two technologies, which not that long ago were the skeptical, I don't understand it, what do I even do with it, are the backbone of every single company in the world. And if I was to tell you to remove those, you go out of business, whether it's because you use it for Zoom or it's your app or it's your order system or it's your inventory management system what, or it's your marketing system. So same thing here, right? Inevitably, the best way to understand Web3 is in the number three. It's not the internet, which was Web1. It's not social media, which is Web2. It's just the next iteration, Web3 at some point see web three as just the internet in continuum and where it is now is, is sort of a fruitful, innovative place where, where something's changing in flux, kind of leveling up to that next pasture, but macro view, it's still what it's been. It's just the next evolution. That's all it is. I think, you know, something's been successful when it no longer is something you name. Hmm. You know, what, there's what you also a phrase in business to say, you know, the best managers or CEOs are the ones that can leave and nobody misses. And that's not to say that they weren't important. It's because they created an organization that could function on its own efficiently without having to have one piece that stopped or started it. And so... Right now, we're not talking about the internet using this podcast, right? You're not going to talk about social media as a way to promote this podcast. It just is. Right. And yeah. That's, yeah. that's it. Yeah, you know, you don't think about how your Amazon book got there faster or cheaper. It just is what you do. And that's just what... And now, today, if you're 12 or 14... You spend three hours a day on Roblox hanging out with your friends. It's just what you do. Uh, you swipe your finger on every screen, which means when you go to you know a uh, museum built in the last 30 years, you wonder why is everything broken because none of the video swipes, right? It's set screens of TV sets. But if you're that generation, it just is. And the internet, the metaverse, Web3, um, it's all just going to be built under the hood and you will sign up for whatever you sign up for and it will deliver added benefits and that's it. And that's what we try and help people understand. Right. And I think the way you're explaining this too makes a lot of sense with the museum example because basically, so it sounds like the, the next, the generations coming up for them, their experience with the internet is going to be much different than yours or mine or how we became uh, indoctrinated into using uh, a website or email or anything like that. It's it's a much different experience that these brands and companies and individuals who are already in the Web3 space understand and are preparing for, it sounds like. That's right. And the only question for you as a brand, if you're listening, is where do you jump in? Is it now? And take advantage of things like the, what The Voice is doing and Barbie's doing and Forever 21's doing and some other talented brands like Aloe's doing an amazing job of explaining their wellness philosophy. Um, um, or do you kind of, you know, where are you on the adoption curve? That's the question that each brand needs to figure out. And some people are be like, let's just figure it out when it's ready to be figured out at the end. And some people are like, gee, we want to be there early because we are a marketing consumer-facing business um, and we need to learn these things 
so that when it becomes a status quo, we're not starting from institutional zero knowledge. Right. And and typically, if you're starting when something's a status quo, you're probably behind. You're of course behind. You're of course behind. I mean, these are hard things. Like there's a reason why, uh, you know, a lot of brands don't adapt well to change or even humans, right? Uh, inertia, uh, lack of resources. Um, one individual in the organization doesn't get it. Um, you know, um, we're in a quote unquote recession. Um, oh, we should be talking about AI, not about the metaverse, because that was last year's thing. That's, you know, there's all these reasons why people create not to engage, um, you know, because we live in a world where most of what we spend our time on is the three feet in front of us. Right. Not right. That, that's, that's how you walk down the street. Not, not, not having that bigger picture macro view sort of in the backdrop of informing your day-to-day decisions. Yes. And that's hard, right? How do you, meet this month's earnings report or sales numbers and still invest in something that is unknown. That's, that is a challenge. We try and bridge that gap with the data and the known. When it comes to the unknown versus the known, you mentioned AI. How do you see that technology fitting in the piece of just the future of the internet and metaverses and, and stuff like that? I think it's the same thing that I said before about the metaverse. And I, you know, we did a Barbie line and we actually had part of it being designed by artificial intelligence, right? And it's the oh, wow. first line ever that was first products on Roblox that were ever AI designed. And what I say about AI is it's just a tool. Um, AI is a more sophisticated version than Adobe Photoshop. Um, or Excel for spreadsheets, but it's a tool, right? And you need to use the tool and, you know, how you use the tool and who uses the tool will make a difference. If you and I both sat in front of chat GPT and input, you know, some write a thesis on, you know, the metaverse or design me an image of this boat floating through space, we would both get very different things because we both manage that tool differently. And so my philosophy on this stuff is all tools need to be our best run at this point by what we call as HI or human intelligence. Human intelligence runs artificial intelligence. And when human intelligence does it well, you get the best results out of the other tools, whether it be Photoshop or an edit bay or a soundtrack, but that on its own, which is amazing, isn't going to get you the next, you know, Grammy soundtrack. It will get you a replica of Grimes's music, but it's not the same thing. Right. And in, in that, in that sense, our, the, the, the human intelligence angle is AI then just another tool in a creator or a brand or or an individual's toolbox that they can use to move forward whatever human goals that they have is is that sort of how AI will will exist or well, has I existed? think that's where we are right now I think that's where we are now um, I I think that you know many people predict that it will take on a life of its own and it will not need the human intelligence um, you know so that question you know, if, if, if one knew the answer, I think one would probably be, uh, you know, in a different spot in life. But, um, <laughs> you know, it, it is a big question mark that a lot of people are asking right now. Um, but it certainly seems to have the capability of operating on its own recognizance. Understood. Um, Justin, in terms of upcoming projects, activations that Virtual Brand Group has in store. What are you excited about? What can you speak to? What's coming up? Well, Stephen, you're very clever. So basically the question is, what can you tell me that nobody else yet knows so I can break it on this podcast as opposed to doing a big press release? I think that's the question without asking the question. Um, here's what I would say is 
over the next couple weeks and months, uh, obviously leaning into the Barbie zeitgeist and Barbie core, we will be releasing limited edition uh, Barbie uh, merchandise for Roblox. These are never before seen items that you can't get anyplace else. They're not part of any other Barbie collection. Um, and that will be very exciting because we want to really embrace that trend. Um, in the future, this year, you will see the voice studios, which is the new brand that we have created, uh, rolling out across different platforms. So I won't announce which ones, but you know, there are uh, other decentralized platforms. There are other avatar generating platforms and there are other centralized platforms. And to the end of we want to be wherever the voice audience is in 180 countries, that's where you will start to see us. So those are the two, uh, those are the two most exciting things that I can talk about right now. But as always, Stephen, you will be the absolute first to know. <laughs> Appreciate that, Justin. And, uh, you know, I know where I can find that information via you. Where can people find more information about Virtual Brand Group? What the stuff, uh, the stuff you're working on, uh, the brands you're working with, where, where, where does all that live and, and how do people get involved? So the best way to get in touch with us is uh, at virtualbrandgroup.com or the email hello at virtualbrandgroup goes straight to our head of customer service. Um, you can always track me on LinkedIn, Justin Hochberg where I am not only posting about um, things that we're up to, but I think other things that would be useful for any brand to know about in terms of the data and the success, as well as the failures, because this is still a trial and error. Um, and the last place can be on our social, which is just be virtual on Twitter. Um, any of those are great, um, but do reach out. We love to engage with people. Um, this is one of those magical moments in an industry where people are willing to be helpful and more uh, cooperation than competition. And so let's embrace that. Love it. Justin Hochberg, thank you so much. Stephen, great to be here again. Let's not make it a year. Don't be so hard for me to track you down. <laughs> I, I promise not to next time. Okay, thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Lights, Camera, Crypto, a podcast produced by Matt Bogart and Decentral Media. Music by Brian Duncan and Kareem Imes. If you enjoyed this experience, be sure to rate and subscribe to our show and to follow at Sladen and at Decentral Media for additional content. <laughs>